Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This week, we are continuing our series on spiritual disciplines. College pastor Jack Cross challenges us to posture ourselves to depend on God. He encourages us to take time this week to fast from food in order to open our hearts to trust God over anything else that wants to master us. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's next steps. When we begin to talk about discipline, right, one of the things that we, we introduced last week was this, this idea of training versus trying. Because most of us, we get up in the mornings and we try hard, right? And so that's not really what it's about, but the, the idea of training brings a different expectation, right? The, uh, training, it, it, for anybody who's ever had been a part of a, an athletic team or, or event or sport or something like that, or for anybody who's been in any type of musical arts or something, something of that nature, you understand that there is a training process, there is, there, and it's incrementally working on a skill, right? And, and oftentimes, most of the time, involves a plan as well. And so spiritually, as we begin to start thinking about things, it really kind of reminds me, uh, up on the screen right here, of this idea of the circle of control. I don't know if you've, if you've ever heard of that. I know Larry has spoken on it many times. And so that's the visual picture sometimes that, that comes to my mind when we talk about spiritual discipline. Uh, and so there's, there's, I, there's these things, right, that, have, um, that are just out there that we get concerned about, correct? There's, there's all kinds of stuff. Right? Like we, you may be concerned with what the political climate of the United States is right now. That may be a concern. You may be concerned with how policies are going to affect your job, right? But quite honestly, you have zero control over them, right? Then there's the things that, that have influence on directly on our life or that maybe even we have some influence on, and maybe that's a little bit more localized, and we've got some things that happen within our life and some things that, that you know, maybe even something like your health, Right to a certain degree, it has well, it has an absolute influence on how you live your life. But there's sometimes it's out of your control. Maybe you've got something that has happened in your past, or maybe you've even got something that is hereditary that that is just hey, it's going to have a, a big influence on you. But then there are the things that are with absolute within our control. Right, how you respond to adversity or, or things in your life, how how you. Are you going to get up in the morning and open up the Word of God? There's, there's all these things that you do have control over. And it takes a lot of discipline, especially in our day and time, to stay focused on the things that we actually can control. And so when we talk about this idea of training and we talk about discipline, we want to be training on how do we stay focused on the things that we can control. Because there's a lot of things that happen in our life that maybe even have influence over us that we don't have any control over. And it's a lot better if we'll stay focused on those, those things. And I would even say that that puts us in that right posture. And so, particularly this morning, the thing that we're going to pick on, the thing that we're going to look, look into a little bit deeper, is the idea of fasting. And so I want to go ahead and, and just kind of lay that out for you. Uh, I think for those of you who've been in church for a while, fasting is a kind of a, a normal idea. For those of you who maybe even not in church, I, I, at least that's a term that I feel like has grown in popularity uh, over the last handful of years. Uh, I actually, I wish that um, we had time this morning to really spend and break, break out um, the, uh, the um, like physical benefits 
of fasting and actually look from the medical side because there's a lot out there, right? Uh, if you, I'll let you research that. Um, there's just all kinds of different things with, with dealing with fasting. To me, I love it because when I read some of those things with the, uh, the benefits of fasting, I think about, you know, hey, look, God knew what he was doing. He put this kind of in his people and in, in things for a long time. But when we look at fasting, one of the things I want us to look at is fasting is a discipline to get your heart, mind, and soul in the right posture of dependence on God. A definition of fasting might be giving up food or something else for the period of time in order to focus your thoughts on God. Right? So when we, when we fast, when we go without and so there's multiple different ways that you can fast. There's multiple different kinds that, that you can do and, and ways to do it. Um, I will tell you this. Most of the time in Scripture, almost all of the time in Scripture, it's referring to food. So I don't want us to, I, I can't let you completely off the hook on that. Um, but, but most of the time within Scripture, fasting is going without food. But I will tell you this, that, that I know that you, you, we can fast in many different ways, and you can fast from maybe your cell phone, or you can fast from social media, uh, kind of put those away and go without for a little bit. But, but ultimately, that goal is I'm going to go without, and I'm going to deny myself something in order to focus on something else. And that particularly in our context is focusing on spending time and spending our thoughts and prayers uh, and our attention on our relationship with God. And so there's a couple different scripture that I want to share with you. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 30, it's one of the Old Testament scriptures, and it says this, Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin to fast. So he, he was nervous about what was happening around the people, and so he, he calls everyone to come and fast. And so this is all over Scripture where we see this, the word fast used in different contexts. There's a place in Joel 1.14 where um, they announce a time of fasting. And it says, Call the people together in, in a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people of the land into the temple of the Lord your God and cry out to him there. He, Joel does this again in verse 2, 15. It's a similar passage. And so many times within Scripture, we, we, I listed just a couple right here, and there's, there's other places in the Old Testament where there's, there's a gathering of the entire nation and bringing people together. But oftentimes, too, it's, a, it's an individualized event. It's something that's supposed to happen kind of in solemn. And so, you, we, man, we see those examples through many different places. A lot of times with... Um, Repentance or lamentation, you know, just kind of something bad has happened in someone's life, and so they're going to pray and they're going to fast over it, and kind of even too within weeping and mourning, like in Judges 20, 26, or in Esther 4, 3. It also happens within confession in, in 1 Samuel 7, verse 6. That's an interesting passage um, to kind of look at. And, and when we look at verse, and we look at Samuel, um, Seven, we see where, where the Philistines are kind of off out in the distance. And, and, the, and the prophet Samuel has kind of, he, he's, he's rallying the people together. And they're getting nervous. They're a little afraid. They don't know what's going to happen with, with the Philistines as they're coming that way. And, and quite honestly, there's no real, real reason why the Philistines shouldn't completely overtake the children of Israel. And so what Samuel does is he gathers the people together and he says, that if you want to return, in, in verse 6 it says, if you want to return to God, get rid of all your foreign gods and images of Ashroth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey Him alone. 
He will rescue you from the Philistines. And then it, he, goes, he goes on to tell them, that, and they, they did. They, they, they decided to put everything away. They kind of put, get rid of all the, the false gods that they had kind of tolerated during the time frame. They follow Samuel's leadership. And in verse 6 it does say that they also went without food all day and confessed they had sinned against the Lord. And so they had some, some true repentance during that, during that midst. And, and it also was accompanied with fasting. They were going to go without food and kind of put them in the right posture in order to get their heart right with God. What happens after that is pretty remarkable because the Philistines come to the camp and camp right outside of where the children of Israel are at the time. And in the midst of their, their fasting, and everybody begins to be nervous, they begin to realize that the Philistines are there. And just before the Philistines begin to attack, it says that God speaks with a thundering voice and causes them to be in utter confusion to which the, the Israelites are able to go and attack them and defeat them. And so right here is God calls them back to get rid of their, their sin, get rid of the things that they've been pursuing. And they begin to fast and they begin to pray and they begin to seek God. And their nation is saved through that. We also see just a, man, a beautiful passage in Psalm 69, and uh, man, David, David had a lot of how to, how, David does a lot. I hope you enjoy, I, I, I enjoy at different times, especially I think becoming a dad or, or even just growing up just a little bit and going through different situations. I had a conversation with a cousin who's been through a really tough time this week, and, and he just quoted off a few different Psalms and, and how, especially I think, man, I don't know, maybe this is a guy thing, um, but I know for guys sometimes it, it, it can be difficult to express our emotions or, or put into words how we're feeling. And so sometimes I enjoy reading what David puts down in the Psalms to, to just kind of express some of that kind of stuff. And there's times when he's angry and he's frustrated and he's mad. And there's times when he's brokenhearted. Uh, but in Psalm 96 right here, he says in, in 9 through 14, he says, Passion for your house has consumed me. And insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I weep and fast, they scoff at me. Right? When I dress in burlap and show sorrow, they make fun of me. So he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to follow after God with all of his heart. But he's got a group of people around him who just, they just make fun of him constantly. And you can almost feel the emotion here. He says, my favorite topic, or I am the favorite topic of town, gossip. And all the drunks sing about me. But I keep praying to you, Lord. Hoping this time you will show me favor in your unfailing love, O oh God. Answer my prayer with your, with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mud. Don't let me sink any deeper. Save me from those who hate me and pull me from the deep, these deep waters. David has this way of just saying, look, I, I'm struggling. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to do what's good. And I've got all these people around me that... All they want to do is just make fun of me. God, please be with me. God, please help me. And we could go on through different texts and all throughout. I mean, there's different places in the, in the New Testament, and there's places in the Old Testament. And, and, and it's just it's a remarkable term here because I think it's one that, that I grew up, I know that I heard. I know that I read it within Scripture. Right? And I know that many of you have. But I think it's also a term that we, it probably, for me, I know it wasn't until, until college. It wasn't until college that I actually got around some people who practiced fasting and kind of showed me maybe what it looks like. 
to, to pause for a day or, or maybe even to, to skip a meal at first. If, if you've never fasted, that may be a, one way to possibly do it is to skip lunchtime, right? Or, or, and spend that time rather than going to get lunch or eating lunch to, to spend time in prayer. Or maybe even just the, the first time, it's maybe a, a, a 24-hour kind of fast. And, and later on this week, that's what, that's what I'm going to call you to, right, is, is for us to join together and, and, and maybe eat in the evening a little bit early, but then don't eat until the next evening about that time frame. We're going to spend that next day in some focused prayer with one another and, and for, um, for our church and for us individually. But those are, there's all kinds of different ways for us to be able to do that, but, but the biggest piece of it is that we actually practice it. And throughout Scripture, it's, it's almost an understood, right, that, that fasting is supposed to happen. But for those of you who've read the Scripture and we call yourself believers, it's another one of those terms that i gotta, I got to ask you, like, do we actually practice it? Is it something that you're training in? Or is it something that you, we just read, but quite honestly, we have no intentionality of putting it into our lives? The Scripture is kind of difficult at times. Uh, I'll be honest with you, because it doesn't lay out exactly how you should do it. But there absolutely is an understood that it's supposed to be a part of our lives. There's a particular passage, and I've used this, I've used the term a couple times, but there's there's a particular passage that really makes me think about this. And this idea that fasting is to put us in the right posture of dependence on God. And there's, like I said, there's a there's a passage in, in Matthew 4, Luke 4. Mark 1 references it as well. But that a place where Jesus himself fasts and it's followed by a significant and great event. And so if you want to turn there to Matthew 4, we can. But that's where I'm going to be here. And so this story is the temptation of Jesus, right? Many of you have heard that. But in this process that kind of happens, I think it's, we begin to look at it, it's an odd event, but Jesus is baptized. We see that in Matthew 3. Then after the baptism, he it does a good job of kind of laying out his lineage and laying out where he comes from. But then right after that, it says that the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness, and he is fa- he's fasting there for 40 days, and Satan comes to tempt him. And so this process of following after God and going through the, the water baptism and then beginning to fast and the temptation. And we want to read it here in, in Matthew 4, and we'll have some different verses on the screen, but for time's sake, we'll, we'll save you on some of it. But it says this, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During the time, the devil came and said to him, and here's the first time that Satan kind of speaks, and he says, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. So I don't know if you, if you catch kind of the, the way that Satan comes to him, but the first thing that he says is, If you are the Son of God, do this. Right? It carries very similar tones to when... Satan shows up to Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Is that really what he said? He didn't say that you can't eat. Is that what 
Really? In the Garden of Eden. The other place that is also in similar fashion is that in, in Exodus 4 and 22, it talks about um, where the children of Israel are God's son. So we've got Adam who is God's son. We've got the children of Israel who are paralleled with being God's son and called that in a couple different places within Scripture. And then you have Jesus who is referred to as God's son. And where the other two people failed, Jesus is going to have success and show us how to win during this time frame. And so Jesus' response is this. No, the Scriptures say, people do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus understood something that most of us do not. That I do not. I, I forget. I, I can't believe it. I've read it. I've studied it. I, I've put it into practice at different times, but I, it blows my mind how often I forget that my being is not just physical. The Spirit is absolutely a part of who we are. And so when Jesus turns around and he says, no, people do not live on bread alone, but by every word of God. He's understanding that my spirit needs nourishment as well, just with my physical body. And, and this, the, the fear or the scare that I, I guess that I have is that how many of us walk around on a daily basis, and, and, and we know when we've missed a few meals, right? I know when I've missed a meal. Uh, it, it's, it can be very difficult. I've learned over time that, that it's tolerable, um, that I can do it. Uh, it it's, I've, I've, I definitely wouldn't have thought this you know, as a kid, but, but it's possible to miss a few days of meals, and my body will be perfectly fine. And going back to the health benefits, as a matter of fact, it might actually be really good for me to miss a few days of meals. But when I go without food for a meal or a day or two, guess what? My body doesn't feel the same way. My body feels weak. I feel like I'm, at times maybe I don't have quite the energy level that I, I should and that if, you know, Dom and I were going to go work out together or do something like that, I, you know, like, ah, I can't push it as hard. I might actually pass out. I might, I might not be able to get through it. How many times do we do that spiritually? I, I don't know. It's odd, but we, we don't always feel it the same way. And to know that, man, spiritually, we're walking around malnourished. Because we don't feed our spirit the way that we should. We don't walk in the right posture with God. Jesus understood that. He understood that to be in the right, be in the right posture and follow after the Lord, it meant that he was going to have more than just bread. And so the first temptation is, hey, take this bread. I mean, look, you're hungry. I know you're hungry. Man, I don't know how many days it's been. Maybe it's been the whole 40, and maybe it's during the process of the 40 that Satan comes and speaks to him. But, but he knew clearly Jesus wanted sustenance. He wanted food, and Jesus says, no, no, no. No, because Adam thought that taking a bite 
that it would give him what he wanted. And Eve. And the children of Israel, he references, this is a reference back, matter of fact, to Deuteronomy 8.25. In Deuteronomy 8.25 it says, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for 40 years, humbling you, testing you, and proving, to proving your character, and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it by teaching you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out, your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord, your God, disciplines you for your own good. And so as Moses is actually speaking to the children of Israel, we're going to reference back to this time frame, and he's, reference, he's, he's talking to the children of Israel, trying to get them to remember some things. And he's like, hey, guys, don't forget. God has disciplined us over the last 40 years. Every day he has provided food for us. Don't you, don't you remember back when you whined and complained for the food? But, but God has given us what we need Every single day, he has provided for us. Oftentimes with sin, it's, it's a question of I want, or it, oftentimes what we, what we want is I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And that becomes a problem between us and God. Because most of the time you can't have what you want, when you want, and how you want it without circumventing God's plan and desire for your life. And so... We move on to the next little piece right here. And, God, and Satan takes Jesus up on the temple, and he begins to show him all that, that is there. And, he, and this is the way he says, he says, If you're the Son of God, once again, jump off. For the Scriptures say, He will order His angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you don't, won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So kudos to Satan, right? He throws in a little Scripture. Hey, I mean, come on, you could jump. And matter of fact, here's what the scriptures say. You're not even going to get hurt. Of course, Jesus' response is, you must not test the Lord, your God. Which is a reference back to that same time frame with Moses. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy 6.16, where it says, you must not test the Lord, your God, as you did when you complained in Massa. Which is actually a reference back to Exodus 17, verse 2. Where the children of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've gone through the water. They've done all that stuff. And then they turn around and they say, give us water to drink. And this is not a, oh, man, we've been traveling this long. And, oh, man, can we, like, we got to find somewhere to drink, guys. Like, like I'm afraid that my children and, and, and animals, and they're going to start dying off if we don't find something. This is not that kind of concern. The tone here is completely different, so don't mistake it. And this, by the way, is like right after God has begun to bless them with manna. So God has already proven that he's going to take care of them. And, and their, their tone and their attitude is, give us water. And, of course, Moses turns and he says, quiet. Moses replied, why are you complaining against me? Why are you testing the Lord? Their tone is, what are you doing? As a matter of fact, this is what they come out and say in verse 3. Exodus 17, verse 3, it says, it says, But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. 
Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? And this is where out of divine probably help, they remove some expletives from Moses' wording. <laughs> Any of you who have been parents um, uh, or, or have dealt with people younger than you and mature, right? This is one of those moments probably where Moses looks at it and just thinks, and I'm not, I can't even go down the road because, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to say something up here this morning, but, but just the idea of like, are you kidding me? Do you realize what you just said? You, we were in Egypt. And you're now saying, why did you bring us out of Egypt? You brought us out here to die? Do you not remember what was going on there? And oh, by the way, they, they would have. We were enslaved. If you couldn't do the work, you'd be beaten. Till you could. If you got injured, if you got hurt in some form or fashion, that could be a death sentence because there was no workman's comp or set off for time. No. And if you happened to die, they would roll your body over to the side and your brother behind you was expected to figure it out. That's the life we lived. There was no hope of getting out of that. There was, no, there was nothing you were going to do to dig your way out and, and, and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try to figure it out and maybe your kids could live a better life than us. That, that's where we were. And God just pulled us out of that. And yet here you are saying, oh, you know what, maybe we should go back to Egypt. And that's the attitude that you're dealing with. And this is where we go back to in Deuteronomy and then back to where Jesus references. Don't put the Lord your God to test. And so what Jesus is effectively saying to Satan in this moment is, he doesn't have to prove his faithfulness to me by me jumping off here and him catching me. He's already proven over and over and over that God has proven his faithfulness. That God is going to provide. And so... I don't have to jump off this building and have him catch me to prove that. So Jesus understands that I don't have to whine to try to manipulate God. And then Satan moves on from there. And he takes him on top of a high mountain. And what Satan says here in verse 9 is, I will give it all, talking about the kingdoms of the world, to you. If you will kneel down and worship me. And then Jesus in verse 10 says, get out of here, Satan. You guys ever had one of those days, right? One of those moments, kind of like get out of here, Satan, where you're struggling already. Things are difficult already. It's been hard. And for one reason, just a, a, the, the same defeating thought or, or something, you know, just nagging situations just keep coming. And it's just like, good grief. Get out of here. Get away. I'm tired of this. This is stupid. Like, come, move. And just get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Or serve only him. There again, referencing back to Deuteronomy 
in chapter 9, in verse 11, it says this, At the end of the 40 days and nights, the Lord handed me the two stone tablets. This is Moses speaking, trying to remind the children of Israel kind of what's happened. And he inscribed the words of the covenant. And the Lord said to me, Get up, go down immediately, for the people you brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly have they turned away, turned from the way that I commanded them to live? They have melted gold and made an idol to themselves. Over and over, right? The children of Israel have really blown this. Just coming out of Egypt, they've gone on. Moses has gone up on the mountain. And effectively what's happening during here when he's referencing back in Deuteronomy is, is this scenario that's happened in Exodus. And he, here they've gone up. Moses is on the mountain. He's gone to meet with God. He's up there 40 days or whatever. And sometime during that time frame, the children of Israel are down here on the ground, and they're saying, you know what, I don't think he's coming back. I think he's gone. We're not really sure what happened. But do you remember when we were in Egypt, they had these things that they could touch and these things that they could see, and they were able to pray to them. So Aaron, would you please like take our gold earrings and take our necklaces and our, our, our bracelets and make us something too? Because the Egyptians, they seem to kind of have it figured out, right? There again, I mean, just... Forgetting what had just gone down and how God had done the plagues, how God had moved them through the water. Oh, by the way, man, walk through the river on dry ground. Get to the other side. Not only that, but then the, as the, the army of Egypt is right behind them, washes them away like, like they're not even there. And the children of Israel are able to move on. And you can't hang out for a month when something is going on up top. Just a matter of a few days, right? My question to us is, how many times does that happen with us? How many times do we spend time in prayer, right? It's something that, man, I wish I wasn't susceptible to this as bad. I wish it wasn't this strong. There's a time period where I thought I was better than that, right? Where, you know, hey, listen, if, I, if I'm going to pray over something, I pray over it for a week, a couple weeks, a month. God doesn't answer, and I'm like, oh, well, he's not listening. Really? Jesus' response here is that you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Because... He's referencing back to a time period in multiple different places, but, but more specifically, the children of Israel, where here they were, that God had just led them out of Egypt, and so quickly their hearts turned back to, well, give us something of gold that looks pretty, that we can, which I don't even, that's probably not true, it's a, it's a cow. I don't, I don't know how that's pretty, but, or how, anyway, but we worship a black box sometimes, so I don't know. Um, but, but what that looks like for them to just say, hey, look, I, I want to see something. I want to touch something. I want to control something. Each one of these temptations right here deal with you and I and, and how we, we want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. And in the first, the first bit right here, when Jesus says you can't live on bread alone, is I'm going to trust what God will give me. I'm going to trust that God knows what I need, and he'll provide it 
when it's time. And I'm not going to try to, the second piece when he says that, you know, hey, I don't have to jump off here to, to, prove, my, to prove that God is faithful. And so I'm not going to try to manipulate God through whining and stuff like that. I, he has proven himself over and over and over again. And the last one, this idea that I'm going to trust God over anything else that wants to master me. Because Jesus says that we're going to serve the Lord only. And so, Lord, what is it that wants to master over me? What are these things that I'm wanting to follow after? What are are these things that, that are wanting to take control over my life as opposed to me following after you? There's a scripture that I want you to meditate on this week as we continue to try to put these things into practice. And it's in John 15, 5. It, as we talk about this idea of the, putting us in the right posture to walk with God closely and more consistently. This verse in John 15, 5, it says, Yes, I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus understood through the temptation that being in the right posture of dependence on God is extremely important. And for you and me in a day and time that we live in with things that are way outside of our control, where it's hard to figure out where the truth comes from, and who we can listen to, and how we should listen, and how we should respond. It's vitally important, physically, but absolutely vitally important for your heart and your spirit, for your mind, to be in the right posture of dependence on God. And fasting is a spiritual discipline that can call us to that. And so as the band comes back up, as we wrap up this morning, one of the ways that we're going to do this is this, this series, I want, to give us, I want to give us some practical, tangible things that we can do to be able to follow up on these things. Because I think oftentimes that can be the, the issue or the problem. Is that we don't actually put these things into practice. And so part of the the um, next steps this week. Oh, <laughs> I meant to give you a heads up on that. <laughs> um, part of the uh, part of the next steps this week is that to join us on Thursday. So really, kind of, we're going to do Wednesday night. So so about Wednesday night at six o'clock. If you want to eat, you go ahead and eat. Try to be done before six o'clock on Wednesday night. You go through the rest of that evening. Go to go to bed. Go to sleep and get up the next morning and don't eat breakfast and spend some time. Spend maybe even that during time period in some, in some prayer and a little bit of meditation. Then when it comes to lunchtime, I want you to break it back out again. I want you to spend some time in prayer. We're going to call you to some, to some specific things. One is that I want you to be able to pray for our church. To see 21 people come to know Christ through us this year. That's not going to happen by accident. I can go ahead and tell you that. Okay? It's not, it's not going to happen just because we exist. It's going to require you to be intentional. But it's absolutely possible 
if, if you and I will focus on it. And so I want you to begin praying that way. Lord, help our church to see 21 people come to know Christ this year. But then I also need you to turn that around as an individual level. And the other thing I want you to begin praying about is, Lord, give me five people to share the gospel with. And I want you to begin writing those down. I want you to begin praying for those people specifically. And so all day on Thursday, I want you to pray about a lot of things. I want you to spend some time in meditation. I want you to spend some time seeking after God through his word. But I want you to pray specifically for those things. And at 6 o'clock on Thursday night, I want you to have you a little meal. If you've never participated in a fast, I want you to join in with us on that. I'll give a couple qualifiers really quick. Obviously. Man, you got type 1, type 2 diabetes or any other type of medicine or, or medical thing where, hey, it's not good for you to, uh, to not eat, then by all means, don't do that. But find something to give up. Find something to give up during that time frame. And guess what? It ought to be a little bit hard. Okay? It ought to be difficult. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but... For Jesus to go without food, I mean, he's the Messiah. And Moses and Elijah, there's several people that went 40 days without food, but that's not easy. I've never attempted that, to be honest with you. I've known some individuals who have, who have gone through it. And it is difficult, not something you do lightly and not something you don't do without training. But I want you to stand. I want to pray over us. I want to call you to fast this Thursday together put this into practice, but then also to begin thinking about how can I train to put this into my life on a consistent and regular basis in order that we can walk closer and more consistently with God. Lord, we want to thank you so very much for the opportunity for us to be here together, God, to open up your word, to see that fasting is all throughout the scripture. But Father, also to see that there are some great moments in your history when people have focused, when people have fasted, and had intentionality to walk close with you. And so, Father, I pray for Pathway. And, Father, I pray that we'll begin seeing people come to the knowledge of who you are and the desire to walk with you, Lord. And, Father, I pray that they would do that through the families and the individuals who are in this room right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. We challenge you to take some next steps this week. One, write down five names of people to which you are going to share the gospel and pray for those people daily. Two, participate in the fast and prayer time on Thursday. Three, meditate on John 15, five this week. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.